2: This is the Tom Hartman Program. Greetings,
3: my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom and the American way. There's a couple of topics that I want to lay on the table and get your thoughts on. And the first is this announcement. This was published first in Axios. I got mine via Bob Ney. He sends a little news summary to all the radio stations that carry talk media news. We just kind of check in for what's going on in the world. And the story is that a couple of days ago, Joe Biden asked Stacey Abrams to come to Washington, D.C. and have lunch with him. And apparently she's 45 years old. She's 31 years younger than him. He's concerned that as an old white guy, he needs a young woman of color on his as his vice president to balance his ticket. To show voters, and in fact, this is one of the sources close to Biden, to show voters that Biden isn't just another old white guy. Now, some of his advisors are quite opposed to this idea. They think that in a Democratic debate, one of the questions the debate questioner would ask is why don't you think anybody else on this stage is worthy of being a running mate? And the idea that the move would be perceived as a gimmick or even as, you know, in the, to use the language largely of a previous generation, that this would be tokenism. On the other hand, that even asking that question in some ways kind of is an insult to Stacey Abrams to suggest that she's anything less than, you know, a rock star politician, because she is. She gave the Democratic response to Donald Trump, and it was the first one and geez, in years that wasn't screwed up, you know, that really worked and worked well. And she did just a brilliant job. She damn near became governor of Georgia. And she would have if it wasn't for Brian, what's his name's successful voter suppression. Al Sharpton. Al Sharpton said that an Abrams move could help Biden by mitigating objections to Biden's treatment of Anita Hill during the Clarence Thomas hearings. Now, whether Al Sharpton is saying that by way of pointing out once again how poorly Joe Biden treated Anita Hill, or whether he's genuinely saying, yeah, great idea, put her on your ticket. I don't know. Let's assume it's the latter. And in fact, Michael Beschloss, the presidential historian, said, you know, voters in the primary process deserve to know as much as possible about the future they are opting for. Should all the Democratic candidates be saying Well, you know, if you nominate me, this is who I'm going to have as vice president, or this is who I would like to have as vice president, or this is who I've talked to about being vice president. I mean, Cory Booker came out the other day and said, if I'm at the top of the ticket, odds are very strong, I'm paraphrasing from memory here, but very strong that I'm going to put a woman on as vice president. Which is, you know, not an unreasonable thing to say, particularly given about half the field right now is female, it looks like. You know, well, not half, but I believe there are five women right now in the Democratic uh, primary campaign that's up to, what, 16, 18 people, something like that. So, I mean, you know, what do you think? Do you think that this is a huge mistake? If Joe Biden were to do this, were to come out and say you know, literally announce his candidacy with Stacey Abrams standing next to him and have her give part of the speech and announce it not as a Biden candidacy, but as a Biden Abrams candidacy or anybody else for that matter? Is he making a mistake or is he making a brilliant political move that we haven't seen in a long, long time? I mean, literally, and since the 19th century. Which is it? You know, I could build an argument for either side, I suppose, And it would certainly be a bold political move. And I agree with this notion that Michael Beschloss is putting out that, you know, we should know everything we can about a potential candidate, including who they want as their number two. That sounds actually very appealing. When you think about, I mean, the story that Nicholas, one of our chat room moderators over on YouTube, who lives in Mexico most of the year, called into the show a week or three ago and pointed out that AMLO, the current president of Mexico the Bernie Sanders of Mexico who got elected president of Mexico right now and you know is running the country in a very progressive way that the bold move that he took the extraordinary thing that he did that catapulted him into the Mexican version of the white house is that during the campaign he not only announced his running mate essentially but he announced his entire cabinet He said, this is going to be my secretary of education here. This is going to be my secretary of defense. This is going to be, you know, whatever they are in Mexico. He named the people. If Joe Biden comes out and says, hey, it's going to be me and Stacey, it's going to ramp up the pressure on the other candidates to say, well, who would you pick as your running mate? And frankly, I think that tells you a lot about a candidate. In fact, I'd like to go farther than that. I'd like to say, okay, once we have a candidate, Once we've got a nominee, excuse me, you know, once the primaries are over and the caucuses are over and the convention is over and we say, okay, it's going to be so-and-so and and -and so-and-so. This is going to be our president and vice presidential candidates on the Democratic ticket. You know, I think that they should take a cue from what Mexico did and say, here's who we're gonna put in. I mean, you know, can you imagine how many people would not have voted for Donald Trump if he had said that his Secretary of Commerce was going to be a billionaire who used to own a bank where other billionaires launder money? Wilbur Ross? A billionaire that Forbes magazine called a grifter? Would people in Michigan have voted for Donald Trump if he had said that Betsy DeVos, who kind of single-handedly pioneered for-profit charter schools in Michigan to the point that, you know, there's only about half the schools in Michigan now are public schools? People in Michigan know how toxic Betsy DeVos is. Could he have carried Michigan if he had announced that he he was going to put this billionaire with her 10 yachts and her hatred of public schools in charge of education department? Would they have voted for him if he had said Alex Azar, the guy who, you know, let Jeffrey Epstein with all the, you know, with 30 some odd, between 20 and 30 different charges of having sex with underage girls, was going to be our labor secretary? I mean, really, I think Americans would have said, seriously, you want to put Rick Perry, the guy who's like, you know, talk about last in your class, right? You want to put Rick Perry, the guy who who basically couldn't even remember the three agencies that he wanted to close in charge of the agency that supervises our nuclear weapons when Rick Perry thinks that that's the agency that supervises oil exploration when it's not the Energy Department? I mean, really? That's what you're going to do, Donald Trump? I mean, you know, had he announced his cabinet, it would have told us a whole lot more about him. I mean, does this establish a brand new era of expectations? Where do we go with this? I think it's fascinating. I think it's, in fact, I think it's beyond fascinating. Gail in Antelope, California. Hey, Gail, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind?
1: Hi, good morning, Tom. I just wanted to say that, yes, I do support the candidates saying who they would pick for their vice president, maybe even their secretary of state, for the following reasons. If anything happens to the president, like they get sick, incapacitated, or worse, die, then that's who we get as our president. So I would like to know, know who we're getting.
3: Especially when we're talking about somebody who's in their 70s.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, like with Hillary Clinton when she picked Tom McCain, I'd never heard of him. I didn't know who Tim McCain even was.
3: Yeah, Tim Kaine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Neither
1: did Yeah, Tim Kaine. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I didn't. Neither did I, I,
3: and I'm in this business. (laughs) It was like who?
1: I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I didn't dislike him. I just wasn't that impressed with
3: him. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. The people that you pick to surround yourself is a huge tell about the direction that you're going to be heading. And, you know, when she Absolutely. picked when she picked Tim Kaine rather than picking a progressive, you know, a lot of the Democratic base went, oh. And I think that hurt her.
1: That's what I did. Yeah. Yeah, I Who is this guy? I think,
3: think had Hillary Clinton picked a genuine progressive as a running mate, that uh, she'd be president right now. I mean, it's just. I agree, 100%.
1: Yeah.
3: Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see where it goes. Gail, thanks a lot for the call. Tom Harmon here with you. The other thing that's kind of missing from this is what Stacey Abrams thinks of all this. She is not talking. And her possible campaign is now talking other than to suggest that in all probability she will not be running for president, but apparently even that decision hasn't been made. So we'll see. We'll see where this goes. This is all coming out of the Biden campaign right now. George in Chicago. Hey, George, your thoughts on Joe Biden and Stacey I have Abrams? I thoughts on
4: Joe. I am delighted with this possibility. It looks to me like... Uncle Joe was rearing up on his hind legs and looking down on all the crazy right-wing, proud boys, neo-Nazi skinheads, and Jews will not replace us, torch-carrying morons, and saying, I am going to nominate for my running mate a brilliant, smart, articulate, charismatic black woman from Georgia who should have won the governor's race, and she's going to be my running mate. What are you going to do about it? like he's putting on the breast knuckles and says, come on, I'm ready. I'm going to take you on. These are the kind of Democrats we need. People who love a fight, you know? Cool. And together with what was announced in Florida, and I forgive me for failing to remember the gentleman's name, but the mayor of Jacksonville who. Oh, yeah, Andrew Gillum. He's announced a voter registration drive to register at least 1 million new voters in Florida for right. the next election. Right. And Stacey Abrams is a demonstrated. Voter registration leader, if yep. you keep registering new Democratic voters in those two states, and they go into the Democratic column, and Georgia will have an impetus to go Democratic because she will be on the ticket. Yep. Like a lot of people would say, Kamala Harris would be a great running mate, but she's not going to bring California. We've got it already. Right. I so this would be like putting Lyndon Johnson
3: when Jack Kennedy put Lyndon Johnson on the ticket exactly. to, to regionally balance it. Joe Biden is a northeastern liberal. Stacey Abrams is a southern Democrat. But we, you know, we aside from the
4: obvious white fascist American neo-Nazi nationalism head on. It's yeah. got to be stopped. And that would do it, George. Thank you. Brilliant observation,
3: Jared in downington Pennsylvania. Hey, Jared. So, Tom, I've been thinking about
0: who Bernie. I, I assume probably we're talking about Bernie. Who is? running mate should be and uh his cabinet as well. And I've been thinking it over. And I think a good candidate would be is probably Lula da Silva to pick as his VP. Now I, I know what you're thinking you know, think that I'm crazy the right former now, president right of Brazil?
3: Now. Yes, he's
0: currently in prison. But this right. he may be so crazy, but I don't think technically the
3: vice president has to be an American, right? Well, I'm not sure, because if the vice president is going to become president, they have to be a natural-born citizen. Uh, Jared, that's, you know, and beyond that, I, you know, I wanted to talk about Joe Biden's decision not Bernie's, frankly, right now. Uh, thanks a lot for the call. John in Los Angeles, listening on KPFK. Hey, John, your thoughts?
4: My thoughts is this. For Joe Biden, for whom which is a centrist Democrat, if you call him that, I think he's more corporate. That's a political genius strategy. However, it will ruin
2: Stacey Abrams' career. Do you yes, think this because, would hurt her career
3: to be vice president? I mean, there's a good uh, chance the Democrats going to win. Here's
4: the thing. We already know what corporate Joe's about. Stacey Abrams then could never run for president if she wants to run for president because they're going to think that she thinks along the same lines as Joe. Uh-huh. Oh, nobody wants Joe, period. Interesting. Uh, it's because of Joe that there is, what, $100 billion in student loan debt?
3: Yeah, $1.6 now. <laughs> yes, John. I mean, you know, yeah, he was the author of that legislation. And so, interesting, John, it would damage Stacey Abrams' career. Fascinating perspective. Martin in Atlanta. Hey, Martin, as a Georgian aide, do you have thoughts on Joe and Stacey?
2: Uh, feel free to go off on either or both. I think that the Vice President should be chosen from whichever primary runner gets the second most votes. I think that shows that you have the top two people that were voted for. I think that means it appeals to a larger part of the country. When we get into this thing of picking somebody because of their demographic or or their race or stuff and it's not really indicative of what the people want. I think the people now are smart enough to respond to. The primary uh, platforms that each of the candidates run on. Well, I, so you I, I might end up with a conservative, you know, a corporate Democrat, and a.
3: But then you got uh, the problem, could, you know, if you end up with people who have very different perspectives, you're going to have the problem that Abe Lincoln had when he died and Andrew Johnson, who was a Southern slave owning Democrat, was his vice president, and suddenly. Andrew Johnson is president and Reconstruction just comes to a screeching halt. I mean, that was the worst decision Lincoln made his entire life, was putting Andrew Johnson on the ticket for his second term. He should have stuck with one of the radical Republicans. And I'm sure that there's more contemporary examples of that. But
2: yeah, the the thing I think, though, is that, um, you know, whoever comes in second in the primary will come in second because of their um, popularity with the people, in other words, yeah. their platform.
3: Well, I, I think certainly in the, last, in the last election, if Hillary Clinton had picked Bernie Sanders instead of Tim Kaine as her vice president, she would be president right now. She, yeah, she would have mopped example. the floor in those Midwestern states uh, that Bernie beat her in. She would have mopped the floor with Donald Trump. She and Bernie would have. Yeah, that, that was
2: my point. I think that it probably, you know, nowadays, uh, the voters are savvy enough to understand where each of the people stands on their positions. Right thank you thank you for sharing your
3: perspective on that Uh, amanda in bruton alabama hey amanda thanks for calling what's on your mind
0: okay i'm just rather disturbed because you keep saying joe biden is a liberal when he's not
3: i have not said that joe biden is a liberal respectfully (laughs) i would not say that joe biden is is the definition of middle of the road corporate democrat
0: there you go and also. He wasn't in, in the middle of the road when he was against school bussing. And mm-hmm. he also said that he didn't want his fair-skinned white child sitting next to a black person with uh, curly hair on the bus.
3: Joe Biden said that?
0: Yes, he did.
3: What was this back 40 years ago or something, you mean? Well, he was an adult. I don't care if yeah. it was 40 years. No, I'm not 40. trying to minimize it. I'm just trying to understand when you know where, what the context was. Because so you think it would yeah okay amanda thank you robert in portland oregon listening at x-ray fm hey robert what's up
0: i called last week and i mentioned about bernie sanders Stacey abrams ticket and Elizabeth warren Beto O'Rourke ticket and i just right now i think the democrats are getting you know i hate to say it, but i almost feel like there's too many people running in this uh race where ruling out a good vice presidential running mate, you know what i mean yeah but they're all in the presidential race now and i completely think that the game now it's different we have to have like the previous just said we need to know who's running for president who their vice presidential pick is going to be and possibly even the secretary of state mm-hmm. i mean it's the team we need to know this now
3: yeah so that's in the abstract robert what do you think about joe biden announcing that he's going to run with Stacey abrams i don't like it why is you that know, i you just said well, you would like to see, you know, people tell you. you know,
0: what I'm going, going to correct myself from last week because the more I started thinking about it, I almost feel like the Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, they're almost like shiny objects right now. You know, we're attracted to them, you know, and I think that. Well, we, we know a lot
3: about Stacey Abrams. I mean, you know, she ran for governor in a fairly high profile race that had national coverage. She gave the State of the Union rebuttal. We know exactly what her policies are and where she stands on pretty much every issue. And she is a genuine progressive. She's as solidly a progressive as is Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, Stacey Abrams is. On the other hand, Beto O'Rourke still hasn't told us what his health care policy is, still hasn't come out you know, with a position on the Green New Deal. So, yeah, he might be the shiny new object, but I'm not sure that I would characterize Stacey Abrams that way. I think we know a lot more about her.
0: Yeah, I agree, but I'll be honest with you, Tom. I didn't know who she was two years ago. You know? Oh,
3: no. I don't think anybody outside of Georgia did, because she was, she was quite famous inside Georgia, because she was one of the most effective legislators, and she was either the head of the House or the Senate. I think she was the head of the Senate in Georgia. So she was well-known there, and that's why she was running for governor. But it was when Brian Kemp decided that he was going to try and you know suppress the black vote in Georgia that this became a national story. It's fascinating stuff. Robert, thank you for the call. Thanks for listening to X-Ray FM. Stealing data from unsuspecting people on public Wi-Fi is one of the simplest ways for hackers to make money. When you leave your internet connection unencrypted, you might as well be writing your passwords and credit card numbers on a huge billboard for the rest of the world to see. That's why I use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures and anonymizes your internet browsing by encrypting your data and hiding your public IP address. Turning on ExpressVPN protection takes only one click. Using ExpressVPN, I can safely surf even on public Wi-Fi without having my personal data stolen. For less than $7 a month, you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have. ExpressVPN is rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar and comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Protect your online activity today and find out how you can get three months free at ExpressVPN.com. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash T-H-O-M for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash Tom to learn more. (music) Medea Benjamin is on the line with us. Medea, welcome back. Hey.
1: Hey, Tom. Nice to be on with you.
3: Medea, of course, the co-founder of CodePink.org and and numerous other groups, and the author of the most brilliant book on Saudi Arabia, uh, What's a Kingdom of... What's the title again?
1: The unjust.
3: Yeah. Kingdom of the unjust. That book just blew my mind. You are such a brilliant, such a great writer. But I understand you're holed up in the Venezuelan embassy. Do I have that right?
1: Yes. It's crazy, Tom. We were two days ago at the military attache office. It's actually two buildings in Washington, D.C. And the opposition came and held a press conference and then proceeded to go inside and take over the buildings. They did the same thing at the New York consulate two days ago. And when the Venezuelan diplomat tried to go into the consulate, um, he was not allowed inside. And this is with police, U.S. Police and Secret Service um, backing the opposition.
3: The and opposition being this this right-winger in, in uh, Venezuela that Trump has recognized, even though he's saying he's the president of the country, even though he never ran for president, he's merely the Speaker of the House, essentially.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. doesn't have one vote as president, whereas uh, Maduro has six million. So... Uh, the U.S., the Trump administration is facilitating the best of these buildings, and the, um, opposition put out that they were going to come to take the U.S., the Venezuelan embassy in Washington, D.C. today. Mm-hmm. So some of us came in last night. We slept here. Um, we called for other people to come as reinforcements. We're doing a rally here. Uh, and we're just appalled that, The Trump administration can decide who is the president of another country, what property belongs to whom, and violate the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, which says even if you don't have diplomatic relations, even if they're cut off, you still have to respect the property of that government. You cannot go inside, you cannot take anything from the building, and you certainly can't give it to somebody else. Right. So the U.S. is violating all international norms, and it's just appalling.
3: But yeah, I'm beginning to think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm remembering back to 2010 when Barack Obama had, uh, it was two years away from re election, and Donald Trump tweeted out expect Barack Obama to start a war in order to get himself re elected. And, you know, clearly he thinks like this. Uh, George W. Bush from 1999 told his biographer, Mickey Herskowitz, that if he got elected, he was going to have a war because that's how you get reelected, essentially. That his daddy made a big mistake by only having a three-day war. I'm increasingly concluding that Donald Trump is trying to create a war with Venezuela as part of his reelection process or campaign. Do you think that I'm off base on that? Is that too weird?
1: I don't think it's too weird. I think if things don't look well for Trump as the elections get closer, uh, he would certainly do that. But it also seems like he has been preparing for a war. I just came back from Iran. So both in Venezuela and Iran, the economic sanctions are a kind of warfare, and they are certainly affecting millions of people, making their lives miserable. And the strategy is to have them rise up against the government. in venezuela they're doing a much better job at that than in iran uh things are a lot quieter in iran but yes i think you're right that trump is preparing for a war and this could be world war three
3: if it takes place both in the middle east and in south america
1: well and imagine what it would do to the whole of brazil and colombia and the entire region i mean this is a civil war that's being created whether or not the u.s is intervening in it he's trying to get the military to start fighting among themselves Mm -hmm. and we've seen already decades of war in latin america with paramilitaries and death squads and all kind of horrible things going on Uh, and this is what's going to start another round of that
3: yeah so so just to recap you are in the venezuelan embassy right now along with a bunch of other americans trying to trying to to protest or to try to physically prevent the right-wing, quote, opposition from Venezuela from taking over this building?
1: Yeah, we're trying to protect the embassy and keep it in the hands of the elected government. And, And if, indeed, they come in with police and we have to leave, at least there is a record that Venezuelans inside tried to protect their embassy and they were supported by those of us who care about issues like international law, we're there to show our solidarity.
3: We're talking with Medea Benjamin of CodePink.org. Medea, is the American press covering this?
1: The American press did cover the fact that the opposition took over three buildings two days ago, but mm. they didn't put it in terms of the Vienna conventions and the violation of international law. They just simply reported on it and said that the Trump administration was happy to help them with this takeover.
3: Remarkable. And I'm assuming that you have information about this at CodePink.org for people who want to get more on what's going on? Uh,
1: Well, it's on my Facebook, and on the Ah. CodePink Facebook would be the easier place to... We did a live stream from inside the embassy. We'll do a live stream at the rally we're having, which is 5.30 East Coast time. And, yes, so Facebook of CodePink or Medea Benjamin would be the best way.
3: Facebook of CodePink or Medea Benjamin. Medea, thank you.
1: Thank you so much for
3: having me on, thanks Tom. For, much love to you. Thanks for dropping in. And best of luck. I mean, keep safe. This is amazing stuff. So let's check in with Bob Nay with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world. This report brought to you by GOATS for the old and loving what you do. A new book by Ellen Ratner and on line with us, the author of Sideswiped, former Republican Ohio Congressman Bob Nay. Bob, welcome back.
2: Hi, Tom. Thank you.
3: What's going on in the world? What's at the top of your hit
2: parade? Well, a few breaking items. First, at 3 15 today, the president is going to sign an executive order, and it'll be protecting free speech on college campuses. And it will direct 12 agencies that fund money through research, in particular, to college campuses to make sure that these college campuses are adhering to free speech. If they aren't, then monies can be withheld.
3: So here's the question, Bob. You and I both know that really the name of this legislation should be put right-wing crazies on campus and let them say whatever they want or we're going to punish you, right? I mean, this is all about Yano and and, uh, Ann Coulter and this kind of thing. So once this legislation passes, what's to stop you know, the Lenin LaRouche's, what's to stop the actual Marxists and Leninists and Maoists who have traditionally been basically banned from campuses because they're so far outside the mainstream, um, just like I would argue Milo and Ann Coulter are. What's to stop them from saying, you know, hey, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for me. Might the theory of unintended consequences blow this back in the face of the administration?
2: Well, it could, Tom. Now, on on another angle, if you have a conservative type of institution out there, and then they refuse somebody who is, quote, you know, liberal, progressive, then it could apply to them, except, of course, the administration through the cabinet is overseeing this. So let's face it, selection could be in the eye of the beholder. But if this
3: passes and you get a Democratic administration, and and I say, I want to speak at Falwell University, and Jerry Falwell's preventing me, do I have a leg right.
2: um, to stand it, on you? it? Yes. It, I mean, it could come back, and it's an executive order. So he's going to do this without any yeses or nos from the call. Oh, interesting. It's going to be by executive order at 315 today.
3: Yeah. Okay. Fascinating. What else is up?
2: Well, he also um, made a statement, and I, I wasn't able to read through it that much before we came on air here, but he is now saying that the United States needs to recognize full sovereignty of Israel over the Golan Heights, which was an area annexed uh, you know from Syria. And as he has you know uh, assigned his son-in-law, Jerry Kushner, to be kind of the overseer of the Israeli-Palestinian peace deals, Obviously, this is not going to bode well to be able to get the Palestinians you know to the table right. uh, and then, of course, when you look at the Kushners in the mid East, you can't have a day without talking about influence and then now, Joshua Kushner, who does claim to be uh, a Democrat and has contributed to uh Beto O'Rourke, because you know he's publicly stating that, which you know anybody can contribute let 's face it to anybody but uh uh, and they're uh, questioning the New York Times piece, once again, the influence of the Kushners, be it the, the father, be it uh, Joshua Kushner or Jared Kushner, and his attendance at the Davos uh, economic, you know, uh, proceedings. Well, the and, and also
3: there's, the, you know, the Bibi Netanyahu part of this. Jared Kushner literally grew up with Bibi Netanyahu, staying in his home from time to time.
2: Correct. Yes, he did. And then so you've got, you know, B.B. Netanyahu, by the way, of course, is heading to the United States on Monday and Tuesday. So the president makes this announcement, you know, ahead of time, ahead of his uh, arrival. This is going to be stirred up. I can pre-tell you this, because I looked at the article today about Representative Max Rose, who's a Democratic member from New York, who uh, made a statement that as a young congressman, I want to get this right, I've got to tell you I'm sorry, you sent me to Congress to take responsibility, you sent me to Congress to have your back, and I failed you. And that's in relationship to the comments that Congresswoman Omar made. How did he fail? Did he fail to control everything that she would be thinking or saying? And I raise this issue because you can bet with, with a congressman getting so touchy and making that statement, after twice there's been resolutions you know, to, uh, quote, contain what she said, um, then you can bet the President is going to stir this when Benjamin Netanyahu comes here, oh, yeah, you can just bet he 's going to do it sure, for sure, sure. yeah, of course, right, right <sighs> and All then right. The, then there 's the wall, the funding for the wall, and uh, uh, the piece was put out um, uh, I think it was a twenty page report so far of where the money is coming from through the Pentagon, and most likely, I would bet that this will be upheld because it would be a long court battle. So right now it's going to be dependent on members of Congress, House, and Senate, who, Tom, look and see what's being done to their military appropriations, you know, being construction and jobs, et cetera. Because the
3: military is saying to give Trump his money for his wall out of the military budget means we're going to have to dial back on upgrading military housing, upgrading military facilities. Well, yes,
2: and they're being very aggressive about it. You can see that they're not letting the grass grow to their feet, Tom. They're working on this very swiftly, very effectively from the president's point of view.
3: Yeah, fascinating stuff. Bob Nay Thank with you. Talk Media News. Thank you, Bob.
1: Thank you, Tom.
3: Great talking with you. Does your current office chair support you? I mean, if you're lucky, maybe it goes up and down, but can you sit in it for hours before it becomes uncomfortable? You know, I I broke my back skydiving back when I was 20 years old, and finding a good chair has been a lifelong struggle. The X chair has this dynamic variable lumbar support. They call it DVL. The X chair's DVL was designed to adjust to you, and every other part of the chair can be custom-adjusted to fit you. That's why the X chair is equally supportive, whether you're 5'2", 110, or 6'4", 250. And now, with the introduction of the X basic model, there's an X chair for every body type and every budget. Take advantage of XChair's new financing option and pay as little as 30 bucks a month. Take your comfort and productivity to the next level for less than the cost of a daily cup of coffee. is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to XChairTom.com or call 1-844-4XChair. XChair comes with a 30-day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to XChairTom.com now and use the code XWheels and you will receive a free set of the new XWheels with your chair. XChairTom.com.
5: You're listening to
3: Tom Hartman. Tom Hartman here with you. You know, in Wisconsin, Scott Walker got pushed out and they have a Democratic governor now. But on the way out, the Republican state legislators basically stripped that new governor of of his power. A judge in Wisconsin just ruled that that's illegal. So that's, you know, kind of good news and I'm, I'm pretty sure I mentioned earlier that there are, there was this angle of attack indicator and an angle of attack disagree light that would tell the pilot of a Boeing 737 Max if the indicator, if the, if the pitot tube, if the, if the device on the outside of the plane is measuring the flow of air, that is trying to warn the plane that the angle of attack, in other words the tilt of the plane, the nose is too high kind of thing, um, if that is malfunctioning, because you can compare it to, there's multiple sensors, right? It's redundant, these are redundant systems. If, if one is malfunctioning and another is not, it'll, it, there's this warning light. It's called the disagree light. You've got two instruments that disagree with each other. And it basically tells the pilot, turn off the automatic pilot, because this thing, the automatic pilot is going to fly you into the ground. And Boeing said to Ethiopian Airlines and to Lion Air if you would like to buy these two safety features, they're gonna cost you extra. In fact, the extra of the safety features can cost as much as 5% of the cost of the airplane. And so these, these two airlines both said, no thanks, we don't need those safety features that would have saved these planes. Why is Boeing selling these? Why are they not included in that? Speaking as a pilot, why are they not included in the price of the airplane? This is this is, you know, this is libertarian capitalism at its worst. Libertarians say and Republicans say you shouldn't have regulation like a regulation that would say if you have a safety device on your airplane, you have to provide it as part of the cost of the airplane. You should not have regulation because when terrible things happen, the market will correct itself. And sure enough, terrible things happened. You know, four or five hundred people are dead. As a consequence of a decision that was made at Boeing to increase profits. And Boeing is going to be hurt by that. And so, you know, to the extent that they're, you know, and Boeing is going to cause, you lose a lot more than the cost of those two airplanes. But does that mean that that's the way we should do things? We wait to take, you know, poisons off the market until people start dying from them? I mean, that's literally how we do it here in the United States. We have a debate, you know, Monsanto now, a second case of cancer where a jury said, yes, this man's cancer was caused by Monsanto after, the, after listening to the testimony of numerous expert witnesses. Well, Europe doesn't have this going on because they never let Monsanto sp- spray Roundup on European crops. But here in the United States, we've been doing it for decades. We've been, you know, on our wheat crops. They started spraying it on our wheat crops in the late '90s, early 2000s, which was followed by an explosion of people saying, "I'm I'm gluten intolerant. I can't eat wheat anymore." I think it's Roundup. I don't think it's the wheat. But I could be wrong, but I mean, you know, this is just my theory. But the, the, but the point is that this, this form of capitalism that, you know, rather than the precautionary principle that they have in Europe, where they say the health and welfare of society is more important than the profit of an individual corporation. Whereas in the United States, we say the profit of an individual corporation is more important than the health and welfare of society. And we are, you know, of the, of the, the 18 happiest countries in the world, we're number 18. We're number 19 this year. We were number 18 last year. We're falling. Every other one of those countries practices, I believe, the precautionary principle. I know the vast majority of them certainly do. One of the things that I think is truly extraordinary is this bomb cyclone. Nebraska was hard hit in this bomb cyclone storm that hit the Midwest, which is a function of climate change, the warming of the Arctic, destroying the Arctic ice, which reflects sunlight and heat back into outer space replacing it with dark water which absorbs sunlight and heat thus warming the arctic two to six times faster depending on where you are in the arctic than where we are than the latitudes that we all live at these kind of mid latitudes and the consequence of that is that the jet stream is falling apart and that these air masses Polar vortex is breaking into pieces, and these air masses are coming down and drooling down over, you know, Siberia, over parts of Europe, but principally over North America right now, at least North America to the east of the Rocky Mountains. And because the atmosphere has six percent more moisture in it right now, as a con- that it did just fifty years ago, as a consequence of global warming, we're getting massively more rain. This, by the way, is the new normal. This is, this is not some weird thing. This is absolutely now the, nor- the, the norm. In fact, the Missouri River, they were showing some before and after of the flooding pictures on the Missouri River on TV. And if you looked at the before pictures you could tell where the floodplain was right because you could see that the you know uh you know where the vegetation was and where, uh, where the, basically where the floodplain was and you can see that there was lots and lots of construction on that floodplain and then the after picture of course the floodplain is now flooded now it might not have been flooded for the last 400 years or 600 or 800 years it's an unusual event but you know 500 year floods 100 year floods thousand year floods are now becoming you know, 1,000-year floods are becoming 10-year floods. 500-year floods are becoming 3-year floods. You know, 100-year floods are becoming every other year. It's in parts of the United States. And this is very simple. This is not rocket science. I mean, you know, there's this uh, article by Laura Riley in the Washington Post. The headline is, maybe it's a sign from God. Is a, she's quoting one of the farmers. Midwest floods devastate Nebraska farmers. No, it's not a sign from God. It's, it's science. It's a sign from uh, vile weather, that we have been polluting our atmosphere for the last 200 years in ways that the atmosphere can't deal with. And it's not like it's fighting back at us. It's just got a new state. In fact, it's in transition from an old equilibrium to a new equilibrium. And it ever reaches that new equilibrium. It has been at that state six times in the history of the planet. We will be gone. It's not God that is coming after us. It's ExxonMobil, BP, Shell, Coke Industries, you name it. You name the, you know, the fossil fuel company, the, the, the mining companies, the refining companies, that's who's coming after us. That is who is responsible for the devastation of Nebraska and the rest of the Midwest. Pick your problem. You look around the world, there's just this absolute devastation that is happening right now in Bangladesh, in central and northern India, Myanmar right now is having flooding. I mean, there's all over the world as we speak, people are dealing with emergencies that have to do with weather, out-of-control weather. And meanwhile, the Trump administration and the entire Republican Party, the wholly owned captives, the wholly owned suck-ups to the fossil fuel billionaires and their buddies continue to say, oh, there's no such thing as global warming. In fact, Trump is proposing in his budget, the Republicans are proposing in this budget that was published, the the 2020 budget for the United States, Trump and the GOP and Mike Pence, they're proposing to gut the National Science Foundation. No more science investigations into what's going on in the Arctic. No more science investigations into what's going on in the Antarctic. And let's forget about doing any kind of scientific investigation into what's happening to our weather. That's the position of the Trump administration right now, to protect the profits of the fossil fuel billionaires who keep Republican candidates in office. I saw a guy from one of these front groups, I think it was Freedom Works, it might have been another one, on TV this morning I wanted to throw up. It was on one of the MSNBC shows that's being run by basically a right winger. It's just astonishing to me that the real cause here, I mean, here you have the Washington Post, the headline wondering out loud, is this God? And I didn't see anywhere in this article or in any of the others. I mean, Mike Pence is going, right? He's going to go and he's going to pray with them. This is the guy who in 2000 said, tobacco doesn't cause cancer. This is the guy who will reliably shill for whatever industry fronts him, whatever industry pays his bills. And and make no mistake, and make no mistake about it, no no bones about it, it's the fossil fuel industry that put Republicans in power, and the billionaires, you know, being created by the fossil fuel industry. Meanwhile, again, Mark Sumner does some just amazing writing over at Daily Kos. Uh, dot com. It's the uh, story, it's, he's got a picture of a water treatment plant for the contaminated water that's flowing out of an abandoned mine in Butte, Montana. This is what our Interior Department and our Environmental Protection Agency are doing now to, quote, protect us. They're saying to billionaires who own big mines and things like that, coal ash, retention ponds, all this kind of stuff, that under Barack Obama's clean power plan, they had to at least clean up their mines before they could dump them back on the community. And with the coal ash, they had to have, you know, it had to be protected. They had to isolate these poisons. And Trump has rolled that back. Mother Jones is reporting that companies now can bond themselves. And here's it, for example, a single abandoned gold mine in the mountains, gold mine in the mountains south of the Fort Belknap Indian community in Montana, has left the area with a legacy of discolored water so polluted with acid that contact with it makes the skin burn. But now Trump has said, oh, these companies can bond themselves. They can decide how much money to set aside. And if they run out of money, they can just declare bankruptcy and walk away, as apparently happened with this mine in Montana. We've got a serious problem in this country of -of out-of-control billionaires and out-of-control polluting industries, and we need to rein them in. And for that, we need a genuine political revolution. And that means we all need to be engaged and involved, we all need to be telling our friends about progressive media, like however you are hearing this show right now. We need to be waking our friends up and having and, and being willing to engage in conversation with people who completely disagree with us or are totally have totally bought in to the Fox BS. We need to wake people up now. This is the Tom Hartman program. It's not just the fate and future of the quality of life in the United States. We're talking literally about planet Earth. If you're like me, then safeguarding your money through market downturns is a clear priority. And frankly, we've seen enough market volatility to make any investor nervous. For people like us who think outside the box and read between the lines, it's becoming even more clear that the insider secret of accumulating physical gold is becoming a lot less of a secret and more of a trend. According to the World Gold Council, in 2018 alone, central bank gold purchases increased by over 74%. The bottom line is that we are starting to see the cracks forming in our economy. And the faster you take action, the better your opportunity. There's only one company I personally recommend in this industry, and that's the expert strategists at ITM Trading. They specialize in wealth protection and opportunity positioning. Both, as you know, are imperative in our current economic climate. Call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Ask for their free gold protection guide and hedge your bets like the top 1% do. Call 1-888-OWN-GOLD. That's one 888 ow 1-888-OWN-GOLD. 1-888-OWN-GOLD. Nancy in Chelan, Washington, am I saying that right, on KBCS? Celan. Um, Celan, okay.
1: Hey, what's Shalane. up, Nancy? Well, I just want your opinion on, like, I mean, we need to do our part. Like, we blame the corporations, but we're driving the cars, we're buying the plastics. So frustrated about, you know, what... You know, we're easy to blame, and I'm planning to go to D.C. on Earth Day and stay there, you know, a Cindy Sheehan Maneuver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, we need 50,000 people there and say, the new Green Deal, it's there, it shows you how to do it, so let's do it now. Yeah, now. yeah, so, anyway,
3: amen. By the way, Nancy, we need to stop kicking ourselves. I mean, this was the Republican response to Al Gore back in the day was, oh, how dare you talk about fossil fuels and, and walking lightly on the earth when you have a 10,000 square foot mansion, or bigger, or right. whatever it was. And the simple answer is, and like you said, you know, we all drive cars. Well, yeah, I mean, some of us are sort of making a transition. I bought a plug-in hybrid, so I haven't used gasoline in months. Yeah, or I've used gasoline actually twice in the yeah. last couple of months, but because, you know, right. I went more than 30 miles away from home. But the bottom line is that even the manufacturer of that car consumed enormous amounts of fossil fuels, that as long... As, long as our government's policy, and this is where the change needs to happen at the level of policy, and that's why your call to go to D.C. is so important. As long as the government's right. policy is to subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars a year just in the United States. Trillions of dollars a year worldwide, as long as our government's policy is to subsidize the fossil fuel industry. And then you get states like what, you know, Rick Scott down in Florida did, uh, where he actually passed, pushed for, and got laws passed that made it harder to solarize your home if you lived in Florida, you know, because he Mm -hmm. was taking money from the local utilities who are privately owned. And as long as that sick kind of politics is going on. And as long as it's being dominated by the fossil fuel industry and utilities right. that are using fossil fuels as happened in Florida, we're going to continue having these problems. And we need to stop punishing ourselves. You may need to get on right. an airplane to go to Washington, D.C. That's just the only way you're going to get right. there. And it's right. actually well, a more efficient. <laughs> more, right. And it's and, and you'll burn a hell of a lot less fossil fuel than if you drove across the country. And, you know, right. that's it, it's not about what we are doing. This is what the Republicans mm-hmm. want to talk about. They want to blame the victims they want to blame the consumers But the fact of the matter is that the reason that we're driving gasoline-powered cars now when other countries Norway now doesn't even allow the sale of gasoline-powered cars in their country anymore as of this moment you can't sell a gasoline-powered car in Norway you know and why because they've decided that's it enough already but the reason that we're still buying gasoline-powered cars in the United States is because of policy government policy that drives these decisions And we can change that because electric, you know, electric cars are fully competitive. Solar and wind power are fully competitive with any kind of fossil fuel. In fact, in most parts of the country, they're cheaper than fossil fuels. And the only thing that's holding it back is political will. And that's why we need to be showing up. And that's why it's a great thing that you're going to D.C.,
1: Nancy. Right. But why don't we stop driving one day a month?
3: You know, I'm all in favor of doing everything I can, right? I, you know, we we take, carry a bag to this to the grocery store. Right, you know, I exactly. bought a hi- plug-in hybrid so I'm because I didn't want to be burning any more fossil fuels. You know, we all do what we can, but let's not get into this god-awful thing of kicking ourselves when we're not perfect, you know, and, and making perfection the en- the enemy of the good. And just basically going along with the Republican talking points. I wanna throw another topic in here and that's Nikki Haley. This is this is kind of a variation on the discussion about happiness and the whole happiness index and you know, which countries are happy and which are not and why is it. And I would say that you know, having universal access to health care, having uh, high levels of unionization and thus you know, good job security and good pay, a high minimum wage, having, having active participation in democracy, having you know, free college education, and having a strong social safety, a strong, all of these countries also have strong what we would call social security programs. That those things all bring us happiness. And as we discussed earlier in the week, and I've got, you know, you'll, you'll find my article on this over at uh, alternate.org right now, and I think it's also on Common Dreams and Truthdig. Um, you know, it's titled something like, you know, What Billionaires Mean When They're Talking About Freedom. And, you know, basically, from a billionaire's point of view, freedom means no taxes, no regulations, which is the mantra that the Republicans sing. But for the average working American, you know, uh, what does that you know? What does that matter? If if you if you get a really substantial tax cut, over time your employer will just lower your wages. We've seen that over and over again. That when taxes go down on working people over the next three years, their wages go down because the employers know what they're willing to work for, basically without you know pre or uh, post tax, and and uh, you know particularly with big corporations. I mean, they they finally calibrate this stuff, and and you know so. And doing away with regulations? I mean, that in other words, there's more poison in our air, there's more poison in our water? How does that make the average person happier? I mean, it makes make the billionaires happier, it makes their businesses more profitable, but you and me? I don't get it. And meanwhile, here now, Nikki Haley comes in, and uh, she lashed out at Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders tweeted, in the United States, it costs, on average, $12,000 to have a baby. In Finland, it costs $60. We've got to end the disgrace of our profit-driven health care system and pass Medicare for all. That's what Bernie said. And so Nikki Haley responds, and this is so amazing. Nikki Haley responds by saying, all right, Bernie Sanders, you're not the woman having the baby. So I wouldn't be out there talking about skimping on a woman when it comes to childbirth. Trust me. Nice try, though. And then she adds, healthcare costs are too high. That is true, but comparing us to Finland is ridiculous. Ask them about how their healthcare system is. You won't like the answer. Now, this is our former UN ambassador. You would think that she would have some clue as to how life is in European countries, particularly northern European countries. So, the UN ambassador from Finland to the United Nations, Kai Sauer, responds to Nikki Haley's tweet with his tweet Here are some facts. Finland has a high-performing health system with a remarkable good quality in both primary and hospital care. The country also achieves good health status at relatively low levels of health spending OECD. Finland has the world's third lowest infant mortality rate. Maternal mortality is the lowest in the world in Finland, and Finland has the, low, the second lowest total mortality rate in, from cancer of all European countries. And then he says, finally, his fourth tweet, the ambassador from Finland to Nikki Haley is, apologies for the delayed reply, but we were out celebrating our rank as the happiest country in the world. Uh, Right. And then uh, Christopher Sprigman, he tweets, life expectancy in Finland, 81.4 years. Life expectancy in the U.S., 78.7 and falling. Finland maternal death rate, three women die for every 100,000 live births. In the United States, 26 women die for every 100,000 live births. Upshot, Nikki Haley doesn't know jack about health care in either Finland or the U.S. Eve, uh, Evan Handler tweeted uh, to Nikki Haley, Why not just tweet, I'm uninformed and dangerous, but I speak to millions, so take seriously what I say. <laughs> right. Somebody else said, imagine being as dumb as Nikki Haley thinks you are. Another one, Dana Hole tweets 2018 poll of Finns who have had family who have used the healthcare system in the last year. 83% satisfied, only 15% dissatisfied. Are you satisfied with the American healthcare system? We are uh, number 18 in the world in terms of the happiness index and all 17 countries above us are all countries that if you asked would say yes we're democratic socialist countries where healthcare is absolutely free or largely free and so is university education in fact many of those countries you get paid to go to college or to trade school what was fascinating about that is my debate with julio is you know why are all these countries above us we're at number 18 uh, but, uh, during the break, uh, one of my kids sent me another story about the exact same study, but looking at it through a slightly different lens, this study actually says, well, yeah, not only are we number 19, I think I said 18, it was number 19. Not only are we number 19 in the world in terms of happiness, but last year we were number 18 and the year before that we were number 14. So we're dropping in happiness worldwide. And this is a fairly comprehensive study. They're looking at GDP per capita, health, life expectancy of birth, social support from friends and family, freedom to make life choices, generosity and donations to charity, and perceptions of government corruption. And, uh, you know, you, these, are, these are relatively objective measurements. It's not, you know, they didn't just walk up to people and say, you feeling happy today? Oh, you know, check off the box. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's on your mind today?
5: Well, the happiness index, <laughs> it, mm-hmm. I've been hearing this story. The one thing that strikes me as you went through some of the statistics is the right-wing media has been telling lies about the statistics and assigning Finland statistics to us. For instance, like saying our life expectancy is 81 years, when in S- fact it's 78 years. And I, and I knew that. And I thought, Wait a minute, where'd you hear this? Michael Medved said that yesterday.
3: Seriously? He just, See, he yeah, just lied he through he also, his teeth to his audience?
5: Yes. Wow. In fact, they called the show, and he said in, in 1950, our, uh, or was it 54, he said our life expectancy was 64. It was actually 65 in 1950. He said, and we've added 17 years. And they would not let me come on the air to say, and that's because of Medicare. Right. We've added 17 years since 1950 because of Medicare. And the availability of of high tech procedures since the 1980s, but the other statistic that they, they has been denied. So when you break these out, like the infant mortality rate, mm-hmm. talking about the you know the rankings. And by the way, the, the U.S. has fallen from number 11 to number 19. But the rankings, when you talk about one, two, and three, the splits aren't even close. Who was tied five years ago for first and second was Finland and Canada at. Forty deaths per hundred thousand live births. You know what ours is? It's over six hundred. Hmm. It's over six hundred. So when you're talking about who's first, second, third, it's Canada, Finland, and probably Japan. Those who's always slugging it out for first, second, and third. The U.S. infant mortality rate is over six hundred deaths per hundred thousand live births. We're worse than Cuba, and we're, in fact, we're the worst in the Westernized world. Right. And of course, the reason for that is. The lack of prenatal care, yeah, for poor women and women of color. Yep, yep. that that's the reason. So uh, they, they talk, and you, correctly, all of the top. What it was almost all of the top ten were all the Scandinavian countries, the ones that Bernie always talked about. Well,
3: and there about. was Costa Rica was in there too. I would add, it's not just a lack of prenatal care, Paul. It's also. Uh, you know, if a pregnancy is planned, it's much more likely that you're going to have a positive outcome than if a pregnancy is unplanned. And all of those countries offer comprehensive sex education in their schools and offer comprehensive access to to birth control. And here in the United States, you actually have Republicans who are arguing against the availability of birth control, uh, particularly hormone-based birth control, or IUDs, what they call, you know, abortifacients, which you and I both know is not true, but that's what they call them. And if they're not a right-wing so-called christian zealot ideologue opposed to birth control on that basis they're opposed to people having access to them at low cost because they're right-wing libertarian ideologues who believe that the pharmaceutical companies should be able to charge whatever they damn well please and gouge us as much as they want uh, you know and hey there's demand for birth control pills let's jack the
5: prices up right and and then we see also the life expectancy and this is what floors me is in terms of you know the infant mortality canada having a, a uh, four, uh, ours is 15 times worse. Canada and, and Finland are at about 40. We're over 600, but their life expectancy is higher. So, how is it that when you <laughs> when you cross over the border into Canada, somehow? I mean, we're we're, we're talking about our, our essentially our neighbors, our next door neighbor.
3: Oh, I know, and, and and you know the the common. I was surprised that Julio didn't use it, but the uh, the common right wing you know reposta rebuttal to that. Is to say, well, the, you know, those countries have a more homogeneous population. Um, you know, I think that the population skew—well, Canada may be a little whiter than the United States, but but there, you know, there, there's not that much difference between the northern tier of states in the United States and the southern part of Canada in terms of, you know, demographic profile.
5: Dick Morris wrote a book—a Republican yeah. strategist, advisor, whatever—he wrote a book uh, against Obamacare about five years ago. And when he was confronted about uh, the fact that the the United States has a, a lower life expectancy than Canada, you know what his response was? He says, "Yeah, but when you when you filter out our infant mortality rate, ours is actually higher. So when you filter out our babies are dying at a higher, greater rate than ours is actually higher. Well, what if you filter out theirs? You know, right. <laughs> well, actually, since theirs is so low." It probably wouldn't make any difference, but see how they want to twist the statistics. Oh, sure. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they're doing here, and now they're outright lying about the fact, assigning Finland's statistics to us and saying, "Yeah, ours is ours. That's what ours is." And this is this is the Trump era.
3: Yeah, it's it's the old cliche that, you know, figures don't lie, but liars can figure. Well, I think actually the one that Donald Trump is like literally betting his presidency on was Abe Lincoln, who said, you know, you can fool some of the people all the time and you can fool all the people some of the time. But you can't fool all the people all the time. Well, Donald Trump knows he doesn't need to fool all the people all the time. All he needs to do is fool some of the people all the time. And that's this uh, email that Fred Flintstone just got from him. Saying that the Democratic Party and the fake news media—and I quote—represent a very real danger to our nation.
5: He only needs to fool enough people to turn the Electoral College in his favor, like yeah. the way that happened in 2016. Yeah, it
3: is grim stuff. It is grim stuff.
5: Paul, thanks a lot for the call.
3: It's great to hear from you, and you know, it is such a privilege to be here with you doing this show because I I learn things from the people who call in and from the people we talk to every day and i'm very grateful for it so thank you and thanks for the call we'll be back with a whole brand new set of things to discuss and in the meantime don't forget democracy is not a spectator sport we all need to be participants in this process if we want to have a country a democratic institutions that actually work so get out there get active tag you're it and have a great afternoon
2: we'll see you tomorrow. you've been listening to tom hartman